You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Welcome, everybody. Kia ora to everybody watching online. So wonderful to have you out, and a special welcome from me to you if you are a guest with us. It's so great to have you with us. As Steve said, we are finishing off. This is the last week in our In the Beginning series. We've been walking through a bit of a journey through Genesis, and we've just been pulling out some of the stories that are in Genesis. And I'm looking at one today. I'm actually really excited about this message. I believe it's going to encourage somebody today. I believe it's going to uh, stir some faith. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the passage. It's reasonably long, but I'm going to read the story, and then we will uh, pray and kick into it. Is that all right? It's going to come up on the screen. It's also in your notes, where you can follow along in your Bible. We're looking at Genesis 13 today, and uh, if I accidentally say, so this is before uh, God changed Abraham's name to Abraham, but if I interchange Abraham and Abraham, you guys will be okay with that, eh? All right, great, cool. Uh, so, Abraham left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued to travel by stages toward Bethel, and they pitched their tents near Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abraham had built the altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. Lot, who was traveling with Abraham, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abraham and Lot and all of their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot. Verse 8 says, Finally, Abraham said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land that you want, and we will separate. If you want the land on the left, I'll take the land on the right. If you want the land on the right, I'll go to the left. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains in the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. Verse 11, Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of, the, of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abraham, look as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west, I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Father, for what you want to say to us today. We thank you for this time where you gathered us all together under one roof and under your word, Father God. And I just pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's unpack the story a little, shall we? Abraham has traveled back to Bethel to set up camp with his wife, his servants, his herdsmen, all of his flock, all of his cattle, of which he has a lot. He is wealthy. He is successful. Uh, he also has with him his nephew, Lot, and all of his, lot, of his nephew's um, family and herds and cattle and, every, and tents and everything. And Lot has been living with and traveling with Abraham for some time. He treats him like his own son. 
and the sum that he did not have, I, I, I would probably imagine that at this point, based on the age of Abraham, that Abraham probably dreams of having a son. It was the greatest, uh, greatest achievement of any person in those times to have a child, to be able to pass on all of your wealth, all of your inheritance, all of your land to. And I can imagine that perhaps this is something that uh, Abraham had longed for for a long time, but not sure if he would have. And so he would have viewed Lot as his very own son. And I'm sure he would have imagined that if he did not, uh, wasn't able to have a successor, that Lot perhaps would become his successor. We also know uh, from, a pa- from this passage that Lot had become very successful under Abraham's roof. He'd become very fruitful himself. He'd become a wealthy man himself. So successful, in fact, that they began to have space issues. There is not enough room in this field for the two of us. Uh, there wasn't enough space for the grazing and the, the living and the rearing of both Abram's and Lot's cattle and herdsmen. And, and there began to be fights broke out. There was conflict uh, in the home. There was conflict over space. And so to avoid that conflict and to keep the peace between the two, they decided to go their separate ways. And I look at Abraham in this season, and, and I tried very hard as I read this story over and over again, I tried very hard to put myself in his shoes and to imagine what it might have been like for Abraham, and I began to wonder if this was perhaps a bit of a painful season for Abraham. There's this awkwardness of relational conflict, and nobody likes that feeling of awkward relational conflict, and there's this struggle, this struggle to keep peace and to keep unity, but There's also Lot, the closest thing Abraham has to a son, the son that he's probably dreamed of, but not sure if he will ever have. He's probably began to question whether he will ever be able to have a son of his own. Lot, whom he has watched grow, Lot, who has traveled with him and lived with him and under his care, and who has watched grow become very successful and very wealthy and very fruitful under his covering, under his care, under his authority. I can imagine this separation for Abraham may have felt like he was losing a son. And we know just a couple of chapters over that Abraham expresses to the Lord that he's resigned himself to the fact that I have no son and so a a servant is probably going to inherit all of my wealth without a son of his own. And I wonder, I wonder if we can all relate just a little bit to what Abraham is going through in Genesis 13 because let's be honest, in the last few years, probably since, well, I don't know, 2020, Uh, we have all seen a lot of loss, haven't we? On a global scale, we've seen a lot of loss. On a national scale, we've seen a lot of loss. On an individual, personal scale, I can imagine you too have experienced some loss. We've all seen some awkward relational conflict, right? We've all seen it. We've seen it on a macro scale. We've seen it on a micro scale. There's been times where circumstances have separated us separated us physically, separated us relationally. There's been times when there's been conflict that has separated us, right? It's happened in our society, but I have no doubt that it's happened in individual lives as well, happened among families, happened among friends, it happened among churches. There's been this season where there's been loss, there's been conflict, there's been difficulty, there's been struggle, and there is so much in this short story of Abraham that we could look at. We could look at Abraham's desire to prioritize people over property. 
We could look at his heart for peace over personal preference. We could unpack the generosity of Abraham and the, the humble spirit which allowed Lot to choose first when really it was Abraham's right as patriarch to have the first choice. All of those things impressed me about Abraham. Look, when I read this story, I was like, wow, this guy, like Abraham's got it. But what I really want to look at today is how Abraham responds to this loss. What happens when things don't turn out as we hoped they would? What happens when what we thought was the promise, the dream, the future was like this, when it actually turned out like this? What do we do in that season? And here's what I learned as I looked into Abraham's separation season. Here's what I learned. The first thing I learned was this. Sometimes the promised land doesn't look the most promising. Sometimes the promised land doesn't look the most promising. Twelve years ago, we moved to Northland to lead our Whangarei campus. And while we were there, we rented a couple of different homes in a small town called One Tree Point. If you've ever been to One Tree Point, you will know exactly what I'm talking about in the next few sentences. Picture this. A nine-hole green and luscious golf course lined with palm trees, including beautiful glistening lakes. Our home being on the second, second hole, the second tee flat and long pathways for walking and bike riding, playgrounds and green spaces, new and large homes on generous sections with multiple living areas, living rooms, uh, bathrooms, double garages, wide driveways, cul-de-sacs for kids to ride their bikes on, neighbours who wave to one another, neighbourhood kids who run from house to house, playing with one another until the sun goes down, and all of this just a two-minute stroll from a beautiful paddling beach, an old-school corner store, and a fish and chip shop. It was the Kiwi dream. Fast forward six years, and I'm standing in the backyard of our Auckland house. <laughs> the patch of grass that I'm standing on feels to be no bigger than a king-size bed. If I lean a little bit this way, I could high-five the neighbor on my left. If I lean a little bit this way, I could high-five the neighbor on my right. Surrounded and overlooked by five other houses and under a flight path, I look back onto our two-bedroom, one-bathroom, no-garage, 85-square-meter shoebox, and I thought to myself, Lord, what are you doing? Like, what am I doing? What are we doing here? Did you really bring us back to Auckland for this? Is this really what your plan, what your promised land looks like? Here's the thing I had to learn in that season. Sometimes the promised land doesn't look the most promising. And while I was really impressed by Abraham's response in this story, he was so wise. He acted so humbly. He was so generous. And he trusted God. Boy, did he trust God. But the more I read this story and I read over and over, the more I read, the more I realized that more often than not, I'm not Abraham. I'm Lot. Abraham chose by faith. Lot chose by sight. And I don't know about you, but I probably would have made the same choice as Lot. It sounded pretty good to me. Lot took a look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. Lot chose for himself. Lot chose for himself based on what? What he could see. He saw fruitful. He saw well watered. He saw beautiful. He saw fertile plains. Lot's choice looked the best. 
It was perfect for raising flock. He, he chose based on what made sense in the natural. His choice was the obvious choice. Abraham's choice did not make sense in the natural. He was the patriarch. He was the leader, and by birthright and family position, it was his right to have the first choice. He should have been the one choosing. But by allowing Lot to choose first, Abraham was not just showing humility and generosity toward Lot. No, he was putting his trust completely in the Lord. By allowing Lot to choose, Abraham was just trusting in God's choice for him. By allowing Lot to choose, it would seem like Abraham was getting the leftovers, like he was getting the raw deal, like he was getting the short straw. But when you look at the story, you realize that Abraham's choice that he got by default was actually not default at all. Abraham's choice, Abraham's choice to let Lot choose enabled him to get God's first choice for him because the choice that he ended up with was the land of Canaan, which was the land that God had promised him all along. It's just that sometimes the promised land doesn't look the most promising. And that's so true, isn't it? Sometimes God's ways look the least appealing, right? Sometimes being obedient to the Lord's directing doesn't look like the natural best option. There are times when the Lord will ask you to do something that makes absolutely no sense in the physical. But Abraham chose by faith. He didn't move to that land based on what he saw now, but based on what God had promised it would be. He moved by faith. And some of us are getting stuck based on what we see now. But God is asking us not to move based on what we see, but based on what he promised it will be. I can't see how it's going to work out, Lord. That's okay. I've got, I've got an assurance from God that it will. Right now it feels fruitless. That's okay. I'm trusting God for the outcome that he has for me. This church would not be where or what it is today if our founding pastor, Pastor Luke, had acted based on what he saw, but he didn't. He made choices about land, about buildings, about schools, about campuses based on faith. This very land that our church is built on, they bought it and began making plans when farmland surrounded it. Who builds a church with nobody to come to it? Someone who's building on faith, not sight. Everyone thought he was crazy for building this here when there was nothing else around. But God, he knew what God had promised it would be. And he built not on sight, but on faith. Where in your life are you choosing by sight rather than by faith? What's really interesting about these two different lands was that Lot's choice in the, in the natural climate looked to be full of life and fruitfulness. But what he found in moving there was that in the spiritual, it was actually a place of wickedness and death. And what looked, did not look in the natural like a place of fruitfulness and, and, and life, for Abraham, actually, both in the spiritual and in the natural, became the very gift of God that brought blessing and life to every generation. It's not always about what we see. Sometimes the promised land doesn't look the most promising. Second thing I learned in looking at Abraham's story is this. Often we don't need the whole promise, just a reminder that it's on its way. 
Often we don't need the whole promise. We just need a reminder that it's on its way. As I read toward the end of Genesis 13, I found such comfort in God's gracious act toward Abraham in verses 14 to 17. Now, Abraham, I can imagine, is probably feeling the emptiness and the loss of separation at this point in the story. Any parent whose children have moved out of home will know this feeling of loss. My imagination has Abraham standing in this spot as he watches Lot and his family and all his herds just drift off into the distance until he can no longer see them just disappear off to the east. The sense of heaviness of the season just feeling very real in that moment. And then he looks over to the land that he's been left with. Doesn't look like the better land. Doesn't look like it's going to be the most fruitful option. Doesn't look like there's going to be anything good coming out of there. And he's feeling the loss of Lot. And right there, in that moment, the Bible says that the Lord speaks to Abraham. It says, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abraham, look as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west. I'm giving you all this land. As far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I'm giving it to you. God in his grace, in Abraham's separation season, in this moment of loss, the Lord reminds him of all that he has promised to him. What a beautiful thing. I heard, I've heard it said this way, it was the medicine of God's word sent to alleviate Abraham's pain. In Abraham's season of loss, God spoke straight into the place of pain, reminding him of the promise that he had for him. I recently ordered from online a wall light, like a wall sconce, you know. It wasn't for me, it was for somebody else. I was spending someone else's money. We were helping a friend renovate and I'd ordered them a light. But it had been weeks and I had heard nothing and I began to worry. And you know, when that happens, you begin asking all sorts of questions like, did they get my order? Did the order go through? Did I push the right button? Did something go wrong? Um, did, did they not have it in stock? Did, they, did, it get, did my order get lost somewhere? Did the item get lost somewhere? Did it get delivered to the wrong place? Has someone forgotten it? Is it just sitting somewhere and will never be seen again? Have I missed it? Did it get delivered and then get stolen? Like I'm, I'm starting to worry because it's not my money I'm spending. I'm spending someone else's money. I got a bit panicky. I got a bit worried. And then I got an email in my inbox your parcel is on its way. You best believe those were the sweetest six words I ever did hear. <laughs> Do you know what it gave me? It gave me the confidence I needed. I, I didn't need to, I didn't even ask the question when. I didn't think how, how was it getting here? I, I didn't even, I didn't even care who was bringing it to me. I didn't need, I didn't even need it in my hands simply to know that it was on its way was enough to give me the assurance and the confidence that I needed in that moment. Often it's like that when we're waiting on the things of God for our life. Because the struggle is in the unknown, isn't it? The struggle is in the silence. It's in the mystery. But God's word is like a medicine in those seasons because it gives light to the darkness of the unknown and the mysterious. We may not have the promise in our hands, but we can have an assurance that it's on the way. Yeah. 
And that assurance gives us the confidence that we need. I have had so many times in my journey with the Lord when I have prayed, Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I have no strength. Lord, I'm weak. Lord, where are you? Lord, it's too hard. And then I've opened his word. And oh, more times than I can count, like the most beautiful gift to me, his word has been like that healing balm for my soul. In your season, are you opening his word? Are you opening his word? Are you allowing him to remind you of his promises along the way? Look to his word for the assurance and the confidence that we need. God's word said to Abraham, I'm giving you all you see. Abraham simply had to trust God for the outcome. Abraham didn't need to live in it right then. He just needed to be reminded that one day he would. And some of you need that reminder today. You don't need to have it right then. You don't need to have it all right now, but you just need to be reminded that one day God will see you through. Because often we don't need the whole promise. We just need a reminder that it's on the way. It gives us the assurance. It gives us the confidence. I'm going to ask the keys to come. Sammy, would you come and join me? Here's the third and final thing. When worship becomes your attitude, any land that you are in is the land of promise. When worship becomes your attitude, any land that you are in is the land of promise. Something I noticed about Abraham was that everywhere he went, the first thing he did was set up an altar and he worshiped the Lord there. Every single time, you see it throughout his story in Genesis, it was both a habit and a non-negotiable, a clear and deliberate decision that he was establishing a life of worship, that he was going to establish worship in his life. And we find it here in Genesis 13. We find it at the beginning and we find it at the end. As a bookend to this beautiful chapter, we find worship. He built an altar to the Lord and he worshiped. He built an altar and he worshiped the Lord there. All of Abraham's life was worship. That's the result of believing in God's promises. It's a worship that flows out of a heart that trusts the Lord. And when your attitude is one of worship and gratitude and honor and exaltation, it's easy to see God's goodness at work. Despite your circumstance, because you will begin to see it in everything, because worship changes your vision. Our youngest son, Rocky, I think I've told you a bit about him before, but he's real good at seeing the joy and the life and the light and the goodness in everything. In fact, just this morning, as we were driving into church at 7 a.m. today, I had woken him up, and it was one of those sleeps that you could tell you did not want to wake up from. Like, he was so cozy in his bed. He was in a deep, deep sleep, and I woke him out of this deep, deep sleep, and I felt terrible, and I said to him in the car, buddy, I'm so sorry that I had to wake you out of that sleep. Were you, did you sleep okay? He said, I had the best sleep ever. <laughs> Whenever we go on holiday, one of the things that I love about Rocky is hearing his synopsis of the day. Because we can either have spent a day at a theme park or spent a day at our accommodation playing board games, and to end both days, he would have declared it to be the best day ever. It was the best day ever. Because when gratefulness is your attitude, anything you're given is a blessing. 
When thanksgiving is your attitude, any day you wake up is a gift from God. And when worship is your attitude, any land that you are living is the land of promise. That's how Abraham lived. His whole life was worship. Can I tell you that our worship is not limited to the two slow songs we sing after the fast songs on a Sunday? Nor is your worship limited to or by your gift or your lack of. When I was in my late teens, I was on the worship team. Sign me up. (laughs) And on this particular Sunday, the worship pastor at the time asked me to open the song. And, And when you open the song, you sing the first few lines solo. The problem on this particular day was that there were two songs that we sang at the time that were real similar. They had almost the same opening line, but very different tunes. And I got the two songs mixed up. I started to sing the lyrics of the one song, but to the tune of the other. As soon as I opened my mouth, I knew I was in trouble. (laughs) To this day, it remains the most embarrassing moment of my entire life. I'm just so pleased that we did not stream anything online in those days. There was no such thing as an online church. There was no such thing as YouTube. There was no permanent record of my stint as a worship leader. Thank you, Jesus, the Lord lives. (laughs) Here's the thing. You don't have to always get it right. And you don't have to always sing in key. And you don't have to get all the words right to be a worshiper, to live a life of worship. I may have failed at my career as a worship leader, but you best believe I will be the most passionate worshiper here because I don't care if I can sing it all right and I don't care if it's my favorite song or not and I don't care if it's quieter than I like, I don't care if it's louder than I like, I don't care if it's a fast song, I don't care if it's a slow song, I will build an altar to the Lord and I will worship Him there. I am not waiting. I'm not waiting for it to get to the bit in the song that I like before I raise my hands. I'm not waiting till I've warmed up. I'm not waiting till I'm in the mood. I will build an altar to the Lord and I will worship Him there. I'm not waiting for my life to get sorted out. I'm not waiting for my physical circumstances to change. I'm not waiting until I feel like it. I am not waiting until I'm having a good day. I will build an altar to the Lord and I will worship him there. Because worship gives me a new perspective. It changes my vision. It allows me to see with faith and not sight the land that God has given me. When you have an attitude of worship, any land you are in is the land of promise. I'm gonna pray in just a moment. And I wanna ask you this. Are you in a season right now where you're feeling the loss of separation? Or perhaps of unanswered prayer or of pain or of disappointment? Are you in a season like Abraham? I pray you're encouraged by him today. I pray that you would be encouraged in knowing that sometimes the promised land doesn't look the most promising, but we have to choose by faith and not by sight. I hope that you're encouraged to know that often we don't need the whole promise, we just need an assurance that it's on its way. 
I pray that God's word is a reminder to you of his promise. I pray that it's like healing medicine to you. And I pray that God would make us worshipers in the good seasons and in the difficult seasons so that any land you are in becomes the land of promise. Come on, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'd love to pray for you today. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we come to you now. We sit as your children at your feet. And we pray that you would stir us to become people of faith and not sight. That we would learn to move and and step in obedience, trusting your choice for us. Father, we thank you for the healing power of your word. May we lean in and dig deep into your word that we might find hope and light there. And Lord, would you give us a heart of worship. We might have an attitude that knows your presence and your promise in all that we do. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Just felt like from the Lord there that this message is perhaps that healing balm to somebody just feeling that season of loss and separation and I just pray I pray that even just sitting in church today even just sitting in the worship even just sitting right now in the presence of God that you just you just sense God's gift of grace over you right now as he just ministers to you thank you Jesus thank you Lord we love you Lord we thank you for your goodness to us your faithfulness to us I'd love to just speak to one more person, a group of people. And this is for those both in the room and online. I'm speaking to you as well. I want to speak to those who right now, maybe you're far from God. Maybe you don't know him. You would say today that you're not walking with the Lord. I'm going to, in just a few moments time, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm inviting every single person If you're saying, Bex, I'm far from God, then why don't you join me in praying this prayer with me? God loves you. He created you with a plan. He's got purpose for your life. He's put gifts in you. And he wants to live in relationship with you today and in eternity. He doesn't want to be separated from you. But our sin, it separates us. Separates us from a holy God. In his mercy and grace, he sent his son Jesus to come and live a sinless life on earth and then die a sinner's death to pay the debt that you and I were due for our sin, that we might be reconciled back to the Father and have new life in him today and forever. And I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm inviting every single person to pray this prayer with me. I'll pray it out loud. You pray it in your heart. But would you make it your own prayer? Would you really mean it today? You ready? We say, dear Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. I choose your forgiveness today. I choose to turn from my old way of life and I turn to you now. I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. Would you come in, fill me, make me brand new today. Thank you for the purpose that you have for me. In Jesus' name, with every head still bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you to do one more thing. I want to ask you to take a step of faith. Don't let praying that prayer be the only thing you do today. Let's take a step of faith together because I would love to acknowledge you and pray for you today. And online, you can join me in doing this as well. There's a button coming up. 
I'm going to count to three, and on three you can push the button. The button says I raise my hand. In the room today, I'm going to count to three, then you can just lift your hand up nice and high. I'll see it, I'll acknowledge it, and you can put it straight back down. Are you ready? It takes a little bit of bravery to do this step, but we can do it together. One, two, three. You're saying, Bex, you can raise your hand now. One, two, three, yeah, four, yeah, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, see you, thank you. Yes, down here I see you. Yes, over here I see you. Anybody else to my left? You're saying, Bex, can you count me in? Up on the Ted seating, awesome. Saying, Bex, count me in. Yeah, I see you to my right. Thank you. Count me in on that prayer. Prayed it for the first time. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I see you guys on my left. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. God, we're so grateful for every single person who prayed that prayer, both in the room and online. Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift of your grace, for the gift that you gave us on that cross. And Father, we rejoice in each and every person who has said yes to Jesus today. We pray your blessing and your favor over them, and we celebrate with them right now in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Would you give God your praise? Awesome. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.